talking about prayer. And we've been talking about it. I said, Pastor, when are we going to go on to something else? When we get this. How about that? So we're, we're here. We're now, on, believe it or not, week eight of the patterns of prayer. Last week, we began looking at the topic of praying by the Spirit and in the Spirit. Understanding that all prayer must be Spirit-enabled. We believe that, do we not? As much as all Scripture is God-breathed, in a very real sense, all prayer must be God-breathed as well. The wind, the breath, the pneuma of God's Spirit has to be involved. Romans 8 says, in the same way the Spirit does what helps us in our weakness. And we learned last week that there's only one other place in the New Testament that that occurrence of the word help occurs. And it was in Luke 10, 40, where Martha is complaining to Jesus, tell this woman to carry her part. That would be the transliteration of that passage. I'm, I'm carrying all of this by myself. Tell my sister to carry her part. That's the same word help that's used in Romans 8. The only two places in the New Testament that that verb is used that way. Very interesting. And that's a, very, it's a great picture of prayer. And through the rest of Romans, through the rest of this passage, the reality is it's not us doing the praying. It is the Spirit doing the praying what? Through us. Pretty remarkable how that happens. And we, we go on in this passage. We don't know what we ought to pray for. The Spirit, it says, himself intercedes with groans that words cannot express. We learned last week that, well, yes, there is a gift of tongues, which we're going to eventually talk about. There's a gift of tongues. This is not the original language does not bear it out right here. This not, does not speak to glossolalia, which is that phenomenon, that gift, which is speaking in that heavenly language. There's something else that's going on here that is beyond our cognition. And so the Spirit is always interceding through us. And it says that He searches our hearts, who, who knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And so we're learning that there are two aspects of how the Spirit enables us. It's what I have broken down. There's the apparent and the transparent aspects. The apparent aspects of when we open our mouth, when our head is involved. 1 Corinthians 14, that when I pray with my understanding, I will pray with my spirit. Just to give you an example of how this works, this is fascinating to me. A young woman came up to me during the prophetic conference and she said, Pastor Jim, I got to tell you this. I've been looking, I've been searching for the gift of tongues for a long time. She said, Last Wednesday night, all of a sudden I understood. And I said, Well, dear, we weren't, I, I didn't even preach on it. I know. She said, But it all made sense. And while I was in the conference, God opened my mouth and I began to speak in tongues. Heard multiple testimonies during the conference this weekend of where God just unlocked people to begin to speak. Isn't that beautiful? So there's the apparent aspects, but then there are the transparent aspects of how God does this. And one of the examples we used was gravity. You don't see gravity, but you feel the what? You feel the effects because we're not floating off into space. We talked about technology. You don't understand what goes on in this device, but what you do know is that you can play Angry Birds on it and text your friends. And so 
but you don't, have, but you don't have any idea about the processors and how it all works together. Don't want to know. All you know is that it works, and you see the effects of it. And so tonight, I want to come back, and I want to unpack just for a moment some of the transparent aspects of how the Holy Spirit assists us in prayer. Now, the first I'm going to call this, we have two advocates of prayer. We have two advocates. We know that the Son of God intercedes for us before the throne of glory. Somebody say amen to that. It's a, media, it's a mediatorial work of God. It says in 1 John 2, 1, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so we know that this first advocate for us is now seated with God in heaven, making intercession on our behalf. We all understand that, correct? But the reality is there is a second advocate that we have. Now, they're both God, but they're in different spots. The Spirit of God is Christ's advocate, but rather than being now like Jesus seated beside the Father, this second advocate now resides where? In our hearts by the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, it says, I don't, if I don't go away, the helper, and this is sometimes translated advocate or even intercessor, shall not come to you. But if I go, of course, I'll send him. John 14, 17, you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Andrew Murray says it this way. Just as wonderful and real as the divine work of God on the throne, graciously hearing and by his mighty power answering prayer, just as divine is the work of of the Son interceding and securing and transmitting the answer from above is a work of the Holy Spirit in the prayers and the prayer that awaits and obtains the answer. The intercession within is as divine as the intercession above. I love that last line. That the intercession within is as divine as the intercession above. I've never had a picture or a vision or never been taken up and had an opportunity to see Jesus interceding on my behalf. Maybe some of you have. I've not. Inasmuch as I've never, I'm not aware of the role of the Holy Spirit constantly making intercession, but guess what? doesn't mean it's not happening. And so we see an advocate in Jesus, and we see then an advocate in the Holy Spirit first. Second is access. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 18, through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. The word picture here is that of a court official who introduces people who desire an audience with the king. In other words, I want to, I want to see somebody in third, well, you've got to get through this court official in order to be able to have access to that inner throne or that inner room where the throne is. This is the word picture behind access here in that we have to have, if you wish, permission. We have some, in, in this building, we have some key fobs. And when they work, they're marvelous. No, I'm teasing. They, 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 they're, they're, they're really cool. So you just take your fob and you just kind of, you just kind of wave it close to the spot and all of a sudden you hear the click and what happens? The door opens. You have access. 
Do you realize that's the very same thing that the Holy Spirit is opening in our life? Is that as, 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 we, as we walk up and we begin to approach God in prayer, there is, if you wish, there's that fob on the inside of us through the Holy Spirit where all of a sudden now doors are open to us. And many times those doors, you don't even have to put your hands on them. I mean, you can walk into certain situations where all of a sudden, just because you walk up, there is your presence, your proximity, all of a sudden doors fly open. Do you realize because of the presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, we walk up to a situation, doors come open. Now, let me tell you, there are times, we know this, there are doors that are both demonically and divinely closed. We need to understand if God has one closed, we need to step off and say, not here. But sometimes there's something wrong that that door needs to be, it needs to be, uh, some force needs to be applied to that door to open it. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are times when you can hear it go click, but it doesn't move. And you know this is a door that is supposed to be opening right now, but it's not opening. And so we step up, and we may have to put our hands on it, put a little pressure on that door. Are you with me? And open it. But it's through the Holy Spirit that we now have what? That access. There we go. It's by the Holy Spirit that we are affirmed. Number three, affirmation. Romans 8, you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but what? The spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is going on all the time. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I've said this before, but our inheritance is first predicated on an affirmation of our sonship. You can't inherit anything if you don't know that you're qualified to inherit. Long before you would ever get into the attorney's office and a will is probated, where they come in and they say, okay, you get this, you get this, you get this, somewhere an identification that you are who you say you are. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are the individual that's named in this will. And we wonder many times as believers why we don't inherit promise. It's because many of us don't know yet who daddy is. The real problem is not grabbing the promise. The real promise, the real real issue is whether or not we know that we've been grafted in and we are adopted as sons. And I see men and women, and we're trying to grab a promise. We don't know who daddy is yet. Hmm. A lot of baby daddy issues still in God's people. It's tragic. And yet, what we find is one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is making continual affirmation, your son. Your daughter, you're not an accident. You were planned. You're loved. There's a place for you. 
There's an inheritance for you. Every day and every need of your life has been provided for. I mean, there is constant ministry that's going on to you and I, and many times we don't even see it going on. That's the affirmation that we're talking about. And as an aside, this is one of the reasons that if we're going to be disciples, congratulations, you signed up for a lifestyle of correction. Smile when you say that. And one of the reasons we have such difficulty many times walking in the life and the lifestyle of a disciple is that we still don't know who daddy is. And so when discipline or correction comes, we don't know how to receive it. Scripture is very, very clear. John 16, that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to do what? Convict. Hello? How many of you know conviction doesn't feel good? Don't ask me how it happened, but this morning I was on the phone with one of the top music executives in Nashville. Somebody said, I I, I need you to talk to this guy. Multimillionaire, I mean, artist, all of this stuff. Bless his heart, his life is a shambles. Begin to minister to him and realize that the foundational, fundamental thing in his life, he has no idea how to repent. We're not talking about a novice Christian. But it was almost a foreign concept of a simple question is, what do you feel like daddy is emphasizing in your life right now that doesn't look like Jesus? What's under construction in your life? And all he could do was point to everybody else. I thought, wow, tragic. So rather than, it was just a bridge building exercise, it'll be some more conversations that will have to ensue. And that's fine. Hebrews 12 talks about endure hardship as discipline. Why? Because he's treating you as what? Sons. Sons. An aspect of his paternity is his correction, and both are spirit-directed. Both are spirit-directed. And this is why many times that all of a sudden we're in prayer and we may be even cognitively or consciously praying about one thing, but all of a sudden there'll be this little little prick in our conscience that the Holy Spirit, will, Daddy will bring to us and say, that ain't quite right. He said, I'm sorry, that's not on my agenda right now. Well, it's on mine. And all of a sudden now the Holy Spirit will begin to bring up some things that need some adjustment that needs some time at the cross, affirmation. Number four is assurance. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 21. It's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and he set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1 says the same thing slightly differently. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, it says you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance to the redemption of those who are God's possession. You make the down payment on something, you don't own it yet. But you made intent, that's going to be mine. 
You make a down payment on a house that's being built. Make a down payment on a car. Years before there was Visa and MasterCard, they had this thing called layaway. See, that's, that's a whole generational giveaway right there. I mean, I just identified myself as an official geezer, all right? Because I realize there's a whole generation that has no idea what I'm talking about when I say layaway. Let me tell you what it was, pre-Visa folk. It's when you wanted to purchase something that you didn't have all the money for, and you went and you made a little deposit on it. And then you go back in occasion, you make another little deposit on it. And you keep going back in and making a little deposit on it. You with me? Until finally you got up all the money and then, you know, then you got whatever that thing was. Do you realize that's exactly how the Holy Spirit operates in our life? This is why it's so important, saints, that we allow God to operate through us. This is, and this is where the, the, if you wish, the apparent and the transparent merge, in my opinion, is that every time that we exercise one of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, we're pulling a receipt out and saying, this is mine. It's a deposit. It's a layaway slip. That when we talk in tongues, when we prophesy, when we move out in one of the spiritual gifts, what happens is that we are manifesting the receipt. We're saying, look, this is the seal of the Holy Spirit on my life because I'm exercising in this spiritual gift. First John 3, those who obey his commands live in him, he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it. By the Spirit, He gave us. Number five, some other amazing things happen. Addition and acceptance. He takes our faltering and our imperfect prayers and He he adds to them, if you wish, the incense and the merits of Christ. And He puts our prayers in a form that becomes acceptable to God. See this picture in Revelation, the 8th chapter, verse 3. It says, An angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. See, there's something about the Holy Spirit that he takes our inadequacies, our infrequencies, whatever it might be in prayer, and he somehow breathes on it. He adds something in such a way that it makes it completely intelligible to the Father. This is another thing that we don't really see happening, but it's going on. Number six, the Holy Spirit accelerates and he motivates. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the great catalyst of prayer in our life. Catalyst is defined as a chemical substance defined as something that increases the rate of reaction without being consumed in the process. You take two fairly inert chemicals and you add this third substance to it known as a catalyst and all of a sudden these things do something that they would not have done. But that third, that, that, that inserted substance, if you wish, it's not consumed. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He increases. He accelerates. He motivates something in our life. 
Yeah, I got it. Need and stress are effective motivators. But how many of you know that most of us, can we just get real for a moment? Most of us outside of need and stress, we don't pray much. We really don't. Oh, yeah, maybe we're moved by something and we're motivated that way. But I'm talking about what happens. Do we pray when we don't need something? See, the Holy Spirit prompts us. He's that catalyst that prompts us. One commentator said this, We're never really men of prayer in the best sense until we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, I really believe that. And let me say that I'm, a, you know, I'm, a, I'm almost a lifelong card-carrying charismatic. I got it. Love it. Forty years walking with God and being filled with the Holy Ghost. So please hear, hear my comments well. But sometimes I think we reduce this being filled with the Spirit with just the exercise of a handful of gifts. Without a real understanding and a real expansion of what that really means. Prayer is one of those things. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. He says, I'll pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants, inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit. Some translations put a definite article there, or the spirit of grace and supplication. And they'll look on, the, on me, the one they pierced, and they'll mourn for him. Looking forward to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, a spirit of grace and supplication. He reminds, he illuminates, he takes from what belongs to Christ, he makes it known to us. He reveals our needs beyond that which we would ordinarily be able to either comprehend or communicate. Stuart Holden said it this way, Here is the secret of prevailing prayer. To pray under a direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whose petitions for us and through us are always according to the divine purpose, and hence certain of answer. Praying in the Holy Ghost is but cooperating with the will of God, and such prayer is always victorious. Don't you love that? How many Christians there are who cannot pray and who seek by effort, resolve, joining prayer circles, etc., to cultivate in themselves the holy art of intercession? but all to no purpose. Here for them and for all is the only secret of a real prayer life. Be filled with the Spirit, who is the Spirit of grace and supplication. What have I said tonight? He's the great enabler. Transparent aspects of what God is always doing through our life that, once again, We're not even in touch with most of the time. We just know the effects of it. That we have dual advocates. Jesus beside the Father, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Praying in accordance with the will of the Father. Affirming who we are. Giving us divine access. Simply because of his proximity in our life. The assurance of promise. And I'll close with this. Written a long time ago. The prayers I make would then be sweet indeed. If thou the spirit give by which I pray. 
My unassisted heart is barren clay. That of its nature self can nothing feed. Of good and pious works thou art the seed. That quickens only when thou sayest it may. Unless thou show to us thine own true way. No man can find it, Father, thou must lead. Michelangelo wrote that quite a while ago.